Good morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. And you'll never guess whether I'm Stacey or John. Hey, Stacey, how are you? Morning, John. I'm doing well today. <laughs> yeah, it, it, this should be Letterman and you flip the pencils up in the air now too, too, <laughs> while, while the band is playing in the background. You now, now you realize that, that half Letterman. your audience. You realize that half your audience may have never seen Letterman yet, right? It's a little bit before their time. <laughs> Not to make you feel old or anything, John. <laughs> uh, just, just call me Grandpa. I know. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. We were having this discussion this week. The Gen Eyes are now replacing the um, the, the the spotlight for or Gen Zs, depending on what you're calling them, from the millennials. And I'm I'm waiting for the millennials to start to get jealous. So we're we're all getting older, I guess. <laughs> The Gen I hadn't heard Gen I before. So how old do you have to be to be the Gen I? And uh, or Gen I or I generation? I'm not sure. You know, with the iPhone, basically, uh, the idea is that they were born somewhere in the range of, you know, 99, you know, 2005, somewhere around there, around the time that the iPhones and those were first starting to come out. And the iPhones came out around 2007, uh, and the flip phones before that. So. Yeah, the the actual date's a little bit up in the air, I think, but um, we know the millennials sort of wrap up around, um, I know my youngest is 18, and he's 1999, he was born in, and he's not considered a millennial by most people, so he's considered whatever is the the next. I generation are the grandchildren of the me generation. Yes. (laughs) We just passed right on down. (laughs) That's great. That's great. That's great. Do, do, do you think that do you think that that's true? You, you know, you know, my my generation was was referred to as the me generation in its time uh, because it was the most self-centered bunch that anybody had ever seen. Yeah. You think that's just what it looks like when you're the next generation in that slot? You know, it, it's very likely could be. It'll be interesting to see how the millennials, you know, um, perceive this next generation coming into the workforce, right? Because, you know, some of it has to do with the size of, of the various generations, right? The Gen X are sort of smushed in the middle. You know, we've obviously pretty well demonized the millennials. <laughs> so <laughs> um, we'll see how quickly the millennials, you know, uh, turn and, and say, hey, the, the next generation is just not nearly as, you know, driven as they are or as um, focused on the environment or whatever it might be, they'll, they'll blame them for. So, yeah, I'm, it's very likely that being the next generation makes you the most um, greedy or uh, the, the most focused on yourself at generation probably, right? Yeah, it's so weird because in practice, the smartest people I know doing stuff are millennials. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's where, it's where all of the interesting stuff always happens. Um, yeah. it's, it's it's such a weird set of stereotypes. So anyhow, <laughs> what's in the bag? Well, it's a busy week, and we're heading into what is in the big, big um, HR tech conference season in October and November. So um, I think it, it'll continue to speed up. This week we had ADP Analyst um, Day in New York. Um, so every year, just about every six months, ADP does sort of an, an analyst update day, and um, I got a chance to attend that here in New York. It's the last thing I'll be attending before I go to HR Tech in two weeks because I am rapidly trying to finish the Sierra Cedar uh, annual um, HR Systems report. So that was kind of interesting. The ADP update um, was a, a lot of, 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 of 
new news in my perspective, um, but also a lot of um, insight into what's happening with their investment um, conversations right now. Um, we also obviously um, have what's going on with Equifax. Um, Equifax is in the HR space, um, but it's also in the sort of consumer credit space. We can talk a little bit about what's going on there and how that's impacting them and how it's impacting sort of the broader conversation about cybersecurity and HR's role. Um, Paycom, um, for those who sort of follow the SMB or small business market, um, Paycom uh, hit all the markers this uh, recently to be ranked number two in Fortune's 100 fastest growing companies list. Uh, that was sort of interesting for those who follow this space. Paycom is one of those sort of under the radar, but um, often um, sort of listed as one of those organizations that have really taken advantage of the small business growth around technology, uh, a competitor to an ADP, a Paycor, or a um, ch- um, uh, Paychecks type of organization. Um, and then uh, for those who are in the benefit space, you might know of this organization, but uh, an organization called Decisely unveiled another end-to-end HR technology platform for the small business. So SMB business is going to continue to um, uh, increase in their focus. And if we have time, there is some information about what's happening um, with um, various laws that are taking place. One is um, the complex California laws on the uh, check the box um, standards. Um, there's some new technology called Good Hire that's being introduced to deal with those type of issues. Um, we also have an interesting um, release from Skillsoft recently. Uh, some total Skillsofts, uh, or um, sorry, uh, Skillsofts. Um, uh, learning products uh, has recently released a virtual coding practices lab, which is a little bit of a divergence for them from their sort of standard approach, which means they're basically setting up um, virtual networks for people to be doing coding while they're learning. Um, so some some interesting things on labs there. Uh, and if we get any time today, there is a uh, lawsuit that was um, just put out uh, against Estee Lauder for parental leave policies, but for the father and whether or not they're being held the same standards as they're holding parental leave policies for a mother. Um, so all those interesting things this week, John. Where do you want to start at? Do we do we want to start with ADP just because I was there last week, or do we want to do want to yeah, diverge yeah, into some of the other topics? What's going on with our friends at ADP? Well, ADP seems to be doing really well. I mean, um, obviously, they're the first thing that came up in the conversation. Carlos, who's the um, President CEO was 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 first at the analyst day to have you know he always sort of opens up the day and and gives a you know a, a bit of a speech about where the organization's going and what they're doing um, and his first comment was around the Pershing Square activist investor um, uh, challenges that they've been having over the last I guess it's been almost three four months now it's it's been in the news for a little while I guess. Um, for those who haven't really followed it, basically um, they have an activist investor, Pershing Square, that was originally said to own about 8% of the stock. Um, although Carlos said that, you know, after a little bit of investigation, that looks like it's more like 2% of sort of um, uh, votable stock. Um, it's, it's The rest of it, it was more of um, uh, non-votable stocking shares. But Basically, that organization um, has wanted to make some dramatic changes, including new board members, including new um, senior leaders within the organization. They've pushed for some of them. Um, Carlos made the case that um, 
they, as an organization, they have tried to address everything, you know, that the activist investor has questioned them about, but he feels that there is a misunderstanding of what ADP has been doing over the last several years. They've been a very profitable organization. They've actually been uh, one of the few organizations that's been giving money back to their investors uh, on a pretty regular basis. Um, and so they made the, the his conversation basically was that, look, we're, we're on the right path. We know what we're doing. Our board agrees with us in general. They, November 7th, there will be, I guess, a vote. Uh, I believe it sounds like on sort of the confidence of what direction ADP is going right now. And after that, they said their, their goal is to sort of move forward very quickly with the existing plans. Um, the interesting thing I think that most analysts took away from that conversation wasn't so much, you know, that, you know, Carlos and Axis and Venture were on sort of different, you know, points of view. Um, it sounded more like Carlos felt like, you know, they're on a path that's going to take a little bit more time than what most people think to get ADP to a point where it can really handle, well, handle is probably not the right word, but really address um, sort of the enterprise market um, at the level that they want to address it at. Um, but he was much more open and the whole ADP um, uh, organization, as they were sort of sharing what was coming down the pike, was much more open about the innovations that they are working on. And I will tell you that I heard more in that um, half-day session with them than I have heard in any other analyst briefing this year with any other vendor as far as the amount of new things they have coming out in the next several uh, releases. So they are definitely opening up and saying, hey, look, we've been working on a lot of things. It's We're this close to it. You've just got to sort of hold on with us. So that was so, sort of what we heard on. That, that, that's interesting. That's, that's, that's really, really interesting. So um, tell me if this is right, because I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. And, mm -hmm. and I just, I, as I heard you talk, what I thought you said was ADP is struggling with a corporate raider. That's the, that's the actual thing that an activist investor is. The corporate raider yep. wants... Uh, the company to rearrange itself because it's good for the corporate raider. And ADP's response is to say, look at all of the things we're about to do. Yeah. Um, and so, so the answer to the, you're not doing the right stuff is look at our roadmap. And, and so my question for you really is, what did they show that's, that's new and different and valuable today? Well, and, and, you know, I, hmm, there, many of the things, and, and, and I will say that I am, I am, uh, we have set up briefings to get some clarification on, on when some of these things are going to drop, right? When they're going to hit the market. Many of the things that they shared with us, um, this week, I think are in some cases already in, you know, uh, production, um, or they're sort of being beta tested right now. So we're not talking about things that are far off. On the other hand, they were also very. There was a big conversation um, with some of the sort of the, the more financial focused analysts on the on the HR tech side about how ADP sort of positions themselves in the market, right? And if they were to position themselves as a software vendor in the software vendor sort of way that we you know sort of value software vendors, they would actually probably be very highly ranked and rated um, based off of that. I mean, they've got 570,000 cloud clients. Uh, they've got 12 million mobile users. They have some of the largest cloud client numbers in the market, depending on how you calculate cloud client numbers. Um, they also noted that um, how they sort of um, 
explain their revenue, include their service numbers, which is not something you see as much from any of the other software providers. And Carlos made it very clear that they do not want to be ranked and rated as a software vendor. They are a services organization from their perspective, a services company with really good technology. Um, that was where specifically, and not exactly the words he used, but basically the, the concept he was sharing with the thing. And I don't think, I mean, me and you have talked about this. A lot of the software vendors now are sort of, they get valued higher on their software and their technology and their repeatable business, but they are trying to get rid of their services side because that doesn't get valued quite as highly in the stock market. But that business is the business we're seeing being wrapped around a lot of other you know, um, spaces, right? That it isn't just about the technology anymore, it's about the services you provide with it. So the question is, is, is Carlos, did they sort of stay the course and are they going to come out the other end on the, on the better side of it? Or do they need to go into being valued as a software vendor? Because I think that would change a lot of the picture right now. Um, and that's a lot of what the investor, I think, is talking about. So, so let me shape my question just slightly mm -hmm. differently and, and, and see if that gets it. It's my belief, although though I haven't seen ADP up close in some time, it's, it's my belief that ADP has a pretty powerful technical shop. And what they're doing with that pretty powerful technical shop is making their uh, delivery more effective and more responsive. And they're doing that the way that you do that, which is in bits and pieces that aggregate up the whole. So, so I would expect that the ADP story, which they might not be good at telling, is that that we're doing amazing stuff. Our service delivery is getting more effective and smarter. And that, ha that happens in our call centers and it happens in our software and delivery mechanisms. Um, and, and the stuff that we're doing in the future is an extension of the fact that what we're already doing is mind-blowing. Um, well, yeah, is, and, is, that, is, is right. So I, I don't mean to, to say that what they said was all we got is roadmap. I think in this environment, um, it's really hard to say we're doing a great job because every single one of our processes is getting smarter every day, um, which is which is where the real work in making intelligent service delivery a reality is. Uh, but, but it sounds like, is that the story they were telling or were they telling something different? No, no. I think, I think you know, you, 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 you sort of explained it maybe a little bit more succinctly than what I was sort of trying to share. But I, I think the important part is, is that they are, part of what I think ADP does so well and part of what I think they don't do so well is they, they really do a good job in sort of, addressing the immediate business issues that are in front of their clients, right? They, they, they do a great job of sort of saying, here's the, the challenge and how do we best address this? Now, whether that's through services or technology, whether that's for small businesses or large businesses, I mean, the, the breadth of type of organizations that they address, they have some of the largest global companies in the world that they do payroll for. And they also have two business consulting firms who do, you know, a, a little bit of employment outsourcing in sort of their models, right? They have probably the widest breadth that you would ever see in any organization of types of, organiz of organizations they address. And so I think when you're an organization that focuses on the business challenges, sometimes, and as you said, it's hard to explain 
um, how much you're doing, the types of things you're doing, right? And definitely ADP's focus has been on trying to clarify all the pieces and parts that they're offering while still meeting the needs, both on a service level and a technology level, of this very large mix of clients. And I think, you know, from what we've seen, a lot of what they've spent a great deal of time on over the last, and you know, they spent like two hours in a product review, fitting about four years' worth of innovation into that product review. Um, they had a lot of focus on the fact that they are creating the capability to be able to do insight analysis of their organizations. So every process that someone takes with an ADP is sort of tracked, every step that's made, obviously, in their systems. And their systems go across multiple environments, from workforce management to payroll to accessing other systems. And so what they're trying to do is starting to, to use all that analysis and say, hey, you've done the same thing five times over, right? Um, would you like us to automate that? I mean, that you can't do that unless you're really looking at all of the processes and even to some extent the services that organizations are doing, right? Um, they're also rolling out a new, what I would consider one of the most forward-thinking approaches to payroll, um, not by rebuilding all their engines, but by rethinking who the clients are in the payroll environment. So they're rolling out a lot of consumer-based products, things that go all the way down to the employee that are very consumer-styled, very mobilized, that open up transparency in payroll which I thought was fascinating because, you know, we don't really talk a lot about what the employees want from payroll other than they want to get paid. They're creating the capability where they could, if the, if the taxes and the businesses and the regulations, you know, you know, made it possible. At this point, there's a lot of issues around that. But the technology that um, they're rolling out right now, in the next probably – and this is part of what I've got to get the sense of is, you know, is this going to be rolling out in the next version or the version after that? But within the next year or so, it sounds like they're rolling out technology that will allow people to pick which way they want to be paid and by what timing they want to be paid if the company can you know, accommodate that. So those are type of things that give a new approach and a new feeling to what payroll can do, right? They also just revamped their back-end tax engine, which I think is a really important step because that um, – impacts the efficiency of uh, their own internal processes and their own uh, capabilities uh, and their ability to um, send information off to the regions and the, and the government's requirements for taxes. Um, and then they also um, launched a brand new, what they're calling Cloud Connector, which is sort of along the lines of an integration tool, but um, more along the lines of a, of a sort of a mixture of a, of a data mapping slash integration tool, right, where people can connect all kinds of various data sets in various formats to um, the ADP environments in a user, um, in, a, in an administrative user environment, not a programmer. So you don't need to have any program language to do that kind of integration and manage all of those integrations. Um, those were that was just you know uh, two hours of that half day, and it was absolutely overwhelming to see the amount of work they've done. So, so just one last thing, and then we should move on. Is what they did at this analyst day bury the analysts in minutia <laughs> to obscure what was going on, or, or? Because I, I don't think I don't think that's the real story. I think the real no. story of ADP is extremely positive, um, but it's extremely positive in a way that the market, you know, the market is so infatuated with the latest shiny object 
artificial intelligence and that sort of stuff that as as successful companies invest their energy in reducing their clients workload and increasing their productivity and effectiveness it sort of gets lost in the weeds and that's the adp story really isn't it yeah, they didn't bury in us. I mean, if anything, they actually they were more clear about all that they were doing. I think we, we previously we might have been buried in an issue because they would get really deep in certain areas. Um, no, the things that I think that I think they were very clear about the fact that they were focusing on innovation. They want to be the number one service company, and they want to address the investors' questions um, in a way that makes the investors happy, but also make sure they can continue on the path they're on. Those that was the sort of the three big messages we got out of it, and then. Ultimately, they they shared a really good you know perspective on where they were at technically because I think they feel like they're being hit on the fact that they are not addressing you know the the most technical things that they need to address and I think their their case is no we have all the technical capability that you could want and we're wrapping really good services around them we've been very innovative um, but it's you know most of this is is right at the edge of being rolled out. And I think I think up to this point, they've been much more cautious about what they were sharing with what they were doing, partially because they were very afraid of their competitors sort of uh, being able to sort of uh, take some of their ideas and reuse them. You know, a lot of large organizations are dealing with that cha- challenge. You know, how do they make sure the market sees them as an innovative, viable organization that's moving quickly? And how do they keep, you know, some of what they're working on uh, from their competitors until they're ready to release it? Cool. So let's move on to this week's equivalent of HR technology porn. Um, (laughs) See, I'm trying to keep up with you on the whole segue thing. You're doing good. Yeah, you're doing really good. (laughs) Not sure I would have used that, but hey, it works. (laughs) Equifax. 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 Everybody loves a good car wreck. Um, (laughs) So... God, I'm glad. I am so glad that I am not a, a senior executive at Equifax this week. Um, it would be a rough place to be. Yes. Oh man, and 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 really, the the point here, what happens with Equifax is is going to happen. I have a hard time understanding how they survive in anything like the shape that the company was in before the before the data breach. But what's more important, it's a cautionary tale, right? It's a it it says, you know what? Life threatening data breaches happen. Yeah. And you better take this stuff seriously. And when you talk about the companies who are um, in our world, the data that they handle is exactly right. It's, it's not the scale of Equifax generally, uh, but it is it is the same level of personal data that's involved. And and so the question of of how do you manage security and what's HR's role in security start start to get really big. Yeah, and, and and this particular case, I think you know, it, it's twofold. It's <clears throat> what happens, you know, before the security breach, which is a, is a big part of sort of knowing your processes, knowing your people, and knowing sort of where everything sits at from a from a both a technical and a a, a sort of 
um, human resource perspective. Um, but then there's also the question of what do you do after the fact, after it happens? How quickly do you respond to it? How do you get in front of it? Those questions. And I think HR is in the middle of both of those challenges. Um, one of the things I think with the Equifax is that this, you know, just looking back at, at, at what they said was the reason for this particular data breach, it was due to um, a technical gap, basically. It was a vulnerability in one of their Apache struts, if anybody knows technology stuff, Um which is basically an open source software that had um, a web application that actually had a vulnerability that was basically well known, had had a lot of patches for it, and supposedly when this breach happened, it was due to this sort of um, uh, open vulnerability in that area. And part of the conversation, I think, has been around, well, what could they have done to, you know, was this an avoidable issue first? And you know, the answer oftentimes is. Um, Possibly, whether it's a technical issue or whether or not it's um, the issue with an employee or whether it's an issue with someone at the higher levels not sort of being aware of what needed to be done. But on the other hand, once it did happen, I know there was a lot of conversation about, you know, how they notified people and how widespread this is and who's aware of it. And those are things I think HR has to have on their radar on both sides of it, a, a process, because it's going to happen in most organizations. It's almost impossible not to have some level of data breach, right? Well, and and so so what's what's interesting, I think, is that that the the organization has to behave differently when it's in crisis and under attack than it does when there's normal operations, and somehow you have to prepare people for that, from senior executives down to customer service people, and and. From what I've been able to glean from the news, um, the, one of the one of the compounding difficulties after the data breach was that the organization wasn't really prepared in what to do in a disaster. Yeah. Right. And so that's what that's where I think HR's role really starts to kick in, right? The the the, the fact that there's a known a uh, problem with um, software requiring patches and attention, and that that isn't fixed um, um, to the state of the art. That's that's kind of evidence of an engagement problem, wouldn't you say? Good, well, very well. Yeah, I mean, depending on how you how you explain what engagement is, but yes, the um, or or evidence of. Um, a communications problem, right, within an organization, um, you know, or evidence of sort of uh, chain of command issues, right? Any one number of those things could have caused that kind of failure. But almost every company deals with those issues, right, at one point or time, no matter how engaged employees are, right? There's one of those things are going to cause some sort of a gap. I, I, I'm of a, I guess, maybe a, a school that believes that there's always going to be vulnerabilities. You know, most companies who don't end up with breaches like this um, in many cases, have sort of addressed the fact that there will always be vulnerabilities and built-in redundant sort of processes to catch those vulnerabilities, or uh, they were just darn lucky, right? <laughs> so, well, so then well, becomes the question of how quickly sure. can you address it? Okay. Yeah. Sure. Well, how quickly can you address it, and what's the proper mechanism for addressing it? And that can be rehearsed. Yeah. Right? Disaster preparedness involves imagining incredibly complicated scenarios in preparing for them. Exactly. <laughs> right? And 
And if you don't, um, if you don't do that, then you have uh, spiraling consequences as people misunderstand what the values of the organization are under duress. And, um, and so, so to me, where HR really steps into this whole thing is that's a, that's a problem that you have to communicate and solve through employees, right? And the single point of contact for employee communications is generally HR. So, so there is this implicit uh, responsibility for security on the human side and the response side that belongs to HR. Do you agree? No, I would agree completely. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, um, but I but I think the challenge for many organizations is that to envision this type of disaster almost feels like you're sort of preparing for it. Um, it falls on low on the totem pole when you're trying to deal with the fact that you want to make sure it doesn't happen, right? And by trying to ensure it doesn't happen with engagement and all the things that HR does in the processes, then they they sort of miss the opportunity to prepare for it. So that's always that, that conundrum, right? You know, do I try and fix every hole in the dike or do I prepare for when the dike's going to go, right? So, so we go to bed so tired for making sure that there aren't flammables around the house that we forget to put the fire escape on the side of the house. And exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, go, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, you know, I think Equifax um, will will have more, I think, to come on the Equifax conversation over the next couple of weeks. So I'm not sure. I'm sure it's not going to go away. Um, but I think part of it is a cautionary tale for most organizations is where they want to start with it right now. Right. No, no data security and general information security practices at the human level. Um, are the Achilles heel in almost all contemporary organizations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, as we're wrapping up today, I do want to make a note of, um, I, th I think it's well worth noting if those um, who haven't followed Paycom would pay attention. You know, the, the, as you know, many of these very large organizations who have a lot of opportunity to have gaps like this you know, come out, we have a lot of small organizations growing pretty rapidly, which is leaves another sort of set of challenges for organizations. Um, and Paycom's one of those organizations, I think, that's growing pretty rapidly. And if you haven't paid attention to them in the tech space, you probably should. Um, they hit the Fortune 100's fastest growing companies list uh, this week. Um, and that was intriguing to me because um, – They've been growing about 40% in the last three years, 40 to 50% year over year almost in their revenue. They're, they're about $329 million. So they're, they're not huge. They they handle the sort of very small market, um, you know, 25 employees up to like you know, 500, 600 employees space. So a lot of people wouldn't have heard of them if they're dealing with larger um, enterprise-sized uh, businesses. But I think what's interesting about them sort of being added to this list um, they're one of the, the few sort of software-based organizations that are on the 100 fastest growing list. They beat out organizations like Facebook and others that were on this list for some um, un, you know, known recognizable amount of time. Um, it's interesting to see a an HR technology um, organization that has been around, and Paycom's been around for a while, as long as they have hit sort of the fastest 100 growing list. Um, in the SMB space. So just a note to say that it's probably worth paying attention to what's happening in that SMB space. It's, it's growing rapidly. Equifax deals with a lot of SMBs. 
we know that ADP deals with a lot of SMBs. It seems like that is the space where there's more noise at right now. Fantastic. So what a great conversation today, Stacey. It's definitely been a busy week. We'll we'll probably have more to cover uh, next week. And uh, if you're um, trying to keep up on all of the news, we'll also be doing a special uh, session from the HR Tech Conference in Las Vegas on Friday. So put that on your calendar. Thanks. And thanks for thanks for doing this, Stacey. It's, al- it's always a wonderful, enlightening experience for me. Um, and thanks, everybody, for tuning in. You've been listening to HR Examiner's HR Tech Weekly with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. Um, have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Thanks, now. everyone. Bye.